0: Okay, welcome back, everybody. I'm doing a rather lengthy review of Erwin W. Lutzer's Hitler's Cross, subtitle, How the Cross Was Used to Promote the Nazi Agenda, published by Moody Publishers in 1995 and 2016. So the focus of Lutzer's argument is to the clergy, warning them not to behave as most of the clergy did in germany during hitler's time i found this so applicable in so many ways so i have given you sort of a background about the german system uh, and contrasted it with the american system last time and this time i'm going to review the chapter the church deceived. Now, I am going to mostly just relate to you what Lutzer has said. And I realize that many of you are thinking about different conversations that are going on in our day. And so you're going to apply it in a variety of ways. And that's okay. All right. Also, I may have, in fact, I do have listeners who are not necessarily in the United States and welcome to you i commend your consideration okay uh comparative in fact i wrote a paper on comparative sociology why don't we study if we're sociologists scientists of society why don't we compare one society to another why don't we compare one political system to another one economic organization to another but we simply don't not in the united states now they do in india because India itself has quite a lot of diversity within it and they have enough scholarship that that's what they're doing. We, we can't. We cannot do it. It's, we're intimidated against it. We would be called racist. We, we must not. In fact, I was speaking with a Spaniard and we said, wouldn't it be interesting to see a compare and contrast study between what Spain did with her colonies and what Britain did with her colonies and what worked and what didn't work and the outcome now after what two hundred, three hundred years. He's oh he agreed with me. Oh wonderful idea. I said, but of course we can't do that in sociology. He said, why not? I said, well they would call it Eurocentric. Well to a European that sounded pretty stupid. But that's what they would say. But what they mean is we're not going to have that because we are going to call you racists if you do any kind of comparative study. We're going to intimidate you because, of course, we all agree that being a racist is bad, so we're not going to permit that kind of a study. Who, who, would, who would say that? Okay, <laughs> if, if you follow <laughs> basic thinking of sociology, you understand the conflict theorists following Marx we're going to use racism and the issue is never the issue the issue is always the revolution so i didn't understand this 10 years ago but now i understand that we can't have comparative studies because that would show that one method of organizing economy doesn't work as well as another one kind of morality doesn't work as well on certain criteria as another, et cetera, et cetera. And so we must not have those kinds of studies. Absolutely not, because that would put the question to our activism. And But that's what sociology should do, right? We should have science before we have advocacy, but that's not what we have. It's certainly not sociology today in the United States. Okay, so that was some contextual palaver. I want to now turn your attention to Hitler's Cross. That's the name of the book by Erwin Lutzer and chapter five, The Church is Deceived. And I'm going to mostly read you excerpts in the order that he wrote them. But of course, I'm not so much critiquing his literary style. I'm not even critiquing his work. I am offering to you the consideration of his thesis and or theses. So uh, you will see clearly how this relates to some of the conversations going on today. Page 127, quoting, With a thicket of swastika flags surrounding the altar, of the magdeburg cathedral the dean dr martin declared in 1933 quote whoever reviles this symbol of ours is reviling our germany dot dot, dot. the swastika flags around the altar radiate hope semicolon hope that that day is at last about to dawn unquote. Adoration for Hitler poured forth from pulpits of Germany. Pastor Siegfried Leffler proclaimed, quote, in the pitch black night of church history, Hitler became, as it were, the wonderful transparency for our time, the window of our age through which light fell on the history of Christianity. Through him, we are able to see the Savior in the history of the Germans. Okay, now, those of you who know anything about Judeo-Christianity, you know that we are. Christians are rooted in the monotheism of Judaism. There is one God, right? Although there is some controversy about the Trinity, but there is one God, yes? And we worship Jesus, and Jesus came in the flesh, a historical being, right? So if you know anything about you know that what he is saying is contradictory, diametrically opposed to any kind of Christian orthodoxy. But he was not a badly educated man. No, pastors in Germany are educated. <laughs> Just to rub it in on August 30th, 1933, Pastor Julius Lutherscher gushed quote, Christ has come to us through Hitler. Dot 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 through his honesty, his faith, and his idealism, the Redeemer found us. Dot dot dot. We know today the Savior has come. Dot dot dot. We have only one task be German, not Christian. Close quote. Today, pictures of this quote holy union unquote startle us, but in Hitler's day, being a good Christian involved being a good German nationalist. God and country were practically one and the same. Now, of course, you will see immediately that we are having conversations about Christian nationalism and that's the big bugaboo of the left, probably because, well, beside the obvious iron law of woke projection, because the state church that we've got has nothing to do with Christianity at this point, although the mainline churches are allied with it. And that's the major issue, right? Communists are masters of the false dilemma. But let's talk about Christian nationalism. Why is that the bugaboo? They know nothing about Christianity and don't want nationalism, right? We don't want borders. <laughs> but the Christians are, you know, completely flummoxed because we have different definitions, a variety of different Definitions, and so we're not quite sure what they mean, and certainly what we mean in terms of that. But in Germany, it was not so unclear because they had, for a long time, had a state church. So, depending on what region you were, you were Catholic or Protestant. And most of the people were not what we would call born again with a personal relationship with God. Most of the people were uh, good Christians by virtue of being a German, you know. Okay. In contradistinction to the United States, where, as a um, oh, very famous sociologist in the 50s, Will Herberg said, Protestant, Catholic, and Jew, that's the title of the book, and he said, we join a group for identity because the United States is so diverse in mass. And President Eisenhower said, and everybody go to you know, church this weekend. I don't care which one it is, something like that. He had to say weekend because it might be Saturday or Sunday. Anyway, back to Lutzer. We who have the advantage of historical perspective are quick to judge, but if we had lived through those times, we too might have been duped by the nationalism of the day if we were hungry. With our economy in shambles and our country torn by political strife, we might be willing to believe anyone who had a plan to lead us out of our cultural swamp. We already learned that the Weimar Republic was paralyzed politically, unable to do what what needed to be done. Hitler had a plan and that was enough. Germany, we had learned, was unified in its anger toward its enemies, whether real or imagined. The humiliating treaty of Versailles, the communist and the liberal elite, who believed in democracy, all of these were seen as threats to Germany's recovery. Even for those who call themselves Christians, a strong Germany was more highly valued than a strong gospel witness, unless the gospel, as was often the case, was reinterpreted to be a plea for loyalty to the German cause point one point two hatred for the Jews I'm sorry to say Lutzer is saying also flourished within the churches many Germans had read the works of Chamberlain and popular documents that pictured the Jews as traitors and although the Jews constituted a small percentage of the population they were seen as villains responsible for the defeat of Germany in World War one which makes no sense and of course Jesus was a Jew But that even was denied. Lutzer. Germany was about one-third Catholic and two-thirds Protestant. To its credit, the Catholic Church stood against Hitler with greater solidarity than the Protestants. Hitler knew that the Catholic Church had an organizational network in many countries, so he preferred to maintain goodwill with the Vatican for as long as possible. In fact, a concordat with was signed with the Vatican that guaranteed freedom of religion in exchange for political support so there is an agreement signed between the Vatican and Hitler that f- guaranteed freedom of religion in exchange for political support so if you understand this is very very much against the f- foundational political philosophy of the United States which our rights are given by God And specifically the right to conscience. Back to Lutzer. Unfortunately, when Hitler began to break his promises, the church leaders were confused. They had declared their loyalty to him, to Hitler, and then they were forced to be disloyal. In the end, they suffered essentially the same as the Protestants. Many churchmen were duped. Father Falcon, a Catholic parish priest, said, I must admit that I was glad to see the Nazis come to power because at that time I felt that Hitler, as a Catholic, was a God-fearing individual who would battle communism for the church and anti-Semitism of the Nazis, as well as their anti-Marxism, appealed to the church. Hitler spoke of both Protestants and Catholics with contempt convinced that all Christians would betray their God when they were forced to choose between the swastika and the cross. Quote, Do you really believe the masses will be Christian again? Nonsense, never again. The tale is finished. No one will listen to it again. But we can hasten matters. The Parsons will dig their own graves. They will betray their God to us. They will betray anything for the sake of their miserable jobs, and incomes. Thus far, letter. Quoting Hitler. So we just heard uh, in the paragraph before that Roman Catholic priests thought that Hitler was a Catholic, and allied with his values, values that I find questionable they're not according to the gospel. You know, Paul would have given up his life and even his eternal salvation for the Jews. That's how much he loved his people. And every single apostle was a Jew. And Paul repeatedly went first to the synagogues when he went to a new town. Okay. We don't have we don't have to go there. <laughs> that that should be obvious to you if it's not but by contrast Hitler followed a different kind of spirituality and specifically said and it is documented because we have the quotation right here the Parsons will dig their own graves they will betray their God to us they will betray anything for the sake of their miserable jobs and incomes say law. who might be thinking that today? Lutzer. Quote, they will betray their God to us. Unquote. Unfortunately, many pastors did just that. Several weaknesses of the church made such a temptation difficult to resist. In the dark night of persecution, they betrayed their God. In the end, both Catholics and Protestants found themselves powerless to stop the Nazi steamroller. And yet, through the opposition from though the opposition from the church was weak, it was the only organized opposition Hitler had. Neither the universities nor the schools challenged him, and only part of the church had courage to do so. Characteristics of the church. So it's clear that Hitler deceived the church, and the church had already sold out to popular themes in the German country, but particularly nationalism. Germany had a long history of being thoroughly nationalistic, and during the Prussian dominance, the king was the head of the church, and the clergy were thus servile to the political head of state. It should come as no surprise that the Protestant leaders call for a synthesis of Volkstum, German German national identity, and Christianity. Since the Protestant churches all belong to more than 20 independent districts, the goal was that these regional churches be replaced by a Reich's church, that is, a centralized national church. Some leaders wanted to revise the church's creed to bring them in line with with national socialism. These became known as German Christians, with the emphasis on German. Thus, when Hitler came to power, the large majority of these leaders welcomed him with enthusiasm. A strong Germany, they thought, meant a strong church. You can see how people, uh, some people, some people who had read the Bible, thought that this was the tribulation. This was Jacob's trouble. This was the Antichrist church. And, of course, we saw that the millennium did not follow thereafter immediately. But, anyway, there are patterns to consider. Okay, so they had understood a divine right when they had kings. And the church joined in the general opposition to the democracy of the Weimar Republic and the liberties of individual conscience. Democracy was a weak form of government that paid too much attention to individual human rights. If the state was to be strong, individual freedoms had to be set aside for the greater good of united, economically stable and strong nations. Christians stood for the greatness of Germany for military might and prominence, and they longed for a return to the good old days when a monarch ruled. Order was restored and victories were plentiful. I think this may be very difficult for Americans to understand because we don't see monarchy as strong. And Christians in the United States, being evangelical, very much rooted individualism. So I think this is difficult. But those of us who have imbibed other kinds of political philosophy do see that the good of the whole is greater than the individual. So that's very much in Hegel, which both Nazism and Marxism and varieties, you know, Stalinism, Leninism, and Laoism, all imbibe. Very much Mao. But in an Asian culture, I mean, they, they, there's no counterweight for individualism, at least natively, as I understand it. Lutzer. A man who lived in Nazi Germany told me that some Catholic priests threatened to withhold the sacraments from the parishioners who favored the Weimar Republic. Dedication services for Hitler's stormtroopers were held in Protestant and Catholic churches. They were the heroes who were committed to a new Germany. Skipping. The church members who were perceptive enough to realize that such idolatry would invite the judgment of God found it difficult to stand against the torrent of public adoration. In general, those who doubted kept their doubts to themselves. Selah. There was a meme on Oh, some social media platform. Yesterday, uh, a cat apparently had been just typing on the computer but then looking very startled at the camera. And the caption was, the reaction to a knock on the door after you've been posting anti-government memes all day. We don't need a radio. You know, the Gestapo would drive around with a truck and a radio finder. They were looking for people who had... Radios in there, addicts. Today, FBI, CIA, KGB, CCP, all they have to do is monitor the social media platforms. Okay, back to let's liberalism. The church, for the most part, had abandoned the historic Christian faith and had opted for theological liberalism. That is, they read the Bible trying to separate the true from the false, denying the uniqueness of Christ. Okay, now, do you know anywhere else where we have that pattern? All of the denominational churches, and increasingly the evangelical church. If you are in a church where they say the Bible contains the Word of God, this is what you've got. And actually, they learned it from the Germans in about the 1890s. Without a clear message of repentance and faith in Christ alone as the Son of God, let's go over that again. Without a clear message of repentance and faith in Christ alone as the Son of God, the churches substituted the proud banner of a Christianized nationalism for the meekness and humility of Christ. Okay, so there's so much to parse out, but here, here's the point. So I know I'm talking to Christians. Have you got a stronghold on what the center of Christianity is? It's Jesus. Okay, do you really know what Jesus was like? Find it in the ancient texts. You don't be fooled by substitute representations. So Sweet Jesus Meek and Mild is a substitute representation, and so is goose stepping, They're both off track. And anything is off track if there's not repentance. Not sin, which is delineated and defined in the Bible. H- how could you not remember this if you couldn't remember? I mean, did you not remember Luther? Anyway. Okay, so in the next chapter, we're going to talk about the persecution of the church. Christians of all kinds were deceived by Hitler, at least initially. The liberals, however, were, quote, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, unquote, and they found themselves particularly vulnerable to the vortex of the Nazi whirlwind. Even when Hitler's agenda finally became clear, they were not willing to suffer for a gospel they had long since abandoned. So do you remember last time I talked about the two spheres? So that there is the practical and the spiritual, and never the twain shall meet. We have been, let's we have been introduced to the doctrine of the two spheres, which popular in, popularly interpreted means that Christ is the Lord of the Church, but the Kaiser or the Führer is, in a manner of speaking, Lord over the political sphere. Allegiance to the political sphere was a high and honorable duty, just as was allegiance to God, and allegiance to God was best demonstrated by allegiance to the state. Thus, the private values of honesty, sobriety, and compassion were not translated into public values. War was glorified, and the good of state was exalted of that, above that of the individual. And with the fervent belief that obedience to the state would produce a new society. Germans were willing to do whatever the Führer demanded. Their duty to God was spiritual. Their duty to the state was political. German children were taught prompt, explicit, obedient to parents, teachers, and military commanders. Respect for the Ordnung, or order, was taught by ritual and threat of punishment. Everyone was to keep pace with the nations and with the highest good. So notice this is what the people on the left hate so much about people on the right. They are afraid that they are organized and willing to march without reference to compassion. Motivated by incomprehensible spiritual values. But they don't see. And that's a point, but they don't see that their side does that. Okay, so I interjected here, but there wasn't a space. Let me go back and keep going. Okay, so children were taught prompt obedience, and everyone was to keep pace pace with the nations for its highest good. Romans 13 verses 1 and 2 was often quoted, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. But there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed to the ordinance of God, and those who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves." Unquote. All right, so Romans thirteen one and 2 was used by the Nazis, and most Christians follow that order. What do you think about that? Do you think that was good application? of Romans 13 What would you have said to a German who was complying with the Nazis in 1940 1945 Think you should think about that Has Romans 13 been quoted recently around the world to comply with something else that wasn't true or wasn't constitutional or wasn't really for the common good but it was promoted very strongly and if you spoke up against it you were in big trouble but this is what was said in the churches you have to comply is that what Romans 13 meant that you have to do whatever the government says at all times who wrote Romans did he do what the government said at all times what what was his point here he was telling people who were persecuted and who were going to get more persecuted right because it was nero that chopped off paul's head it was nero who burned and blamed the burning of rome which was really urban renewal blamed it on christians okay was he saying just do whatever the government says. No, he says, as a missionary strategy, be ideal citizens. Right, But the standard of the church, at least since Peter and Paul, not, not Paul, Peter in front of the Sanhedrin said, judge for yourself, should we serve God or man? So, ideal citizens, yes, but not when there's a contravening moral imperative. Jesus, the same way. Jesus said, when the Roman soldier compels you to carry his pack for a mile, you you don't take out your dagger and fight with him. You carry it two miles. So, ideal citizens. But did Jesus comply with Pilate? Did Jesus comply with the Sanhedrin? Why did he get killed? Why was Peter killed? Why was Paul killed? And Paul wrote Romans 13. So, yes, be ideal citizens. Yes, God has established governance, and we could talk a whole lot about that. But self governance and governance. And there is that which is set up under the providence of God that God permits. And then there is governance that God set up directly that's more godly. But it's based on the self-governance of the people and so there's less governance but anyway there's tyrannical demonically inspired governments and when we live under them we are still model citizens right that's what it says in Romans not all Government is godly, and therefore you should always do it, even in violation of your conscience. No. Okay. So, maybe we need to have a Greek word study in Romans, <laughs> but I think you understand. Okay. So, now the Lutheran Church had a strong, piet- well, among the Protestants, I would say, a strong pietist movement, and often quietists, so they would say that you know you should just be quiet and be focused on spirituality whereas reformed faith and there's a lot of reformed folk in the protestant german church that the government of god should be played out okay anyway Pietism, with its emphasis on personal devotion to Christ, was used to inject spiritual life into the mainstream Lutheran church, but by maintaining intense loyalty to the political authorities and insisting on obedience to the state, even if it was contrary to one's personal convictions, Pietism had scant influence on stemming the Nazi tide. Okay, again, applicable to today in a number of ways. So... I'll just keep going let's hear. a form of pietism is still popular among those in America today who believe that we should retreat from Cultural battles in favor of simply quote preaching the gospel unquote and staying out of politics What they forget is that this as the state encroaches on our liberties our spiritual f- sphere will continue to shrink Until our very freedoms are taken away No one will be able to run and hide James Dobson, in a letter sent to his supporters, challenged his readers with a series of questions: colon, At what point will we be willing to defend what we believe? Will parents object if their children are routinely indoctrinated in homosexual ideology or occultism in public schools? Will we object if the state tells pastors what they can or cannot say from the pulpit? In yes, Sweden. An evangelical pastor preached on Sodom and Gomorrah was convicted of, quote, verbal violence, unquote, against homosexuals and sentenced to four-week prison term. Will we object if the state assumes ownership of our children and tells us how to rear them or else lose custody? Will we object if every church has to hire a homosexual to satisfy a, quota obligation, unquote? You know, I used to think that James Dobson was a little bit tightly wound, but it really sounds differently in 2023 than it did in... Well, when was this book originally published? My goodness, 1995. Of course, that could have been... Okay, also, in the Civil War, the Northern Presbyterian Church this card too we're just going to be spiritual so we're not gonna no 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 sorry it was the southern Presbyterian Church it said spirituality they're gonna be spiritual so they're not going to get involved in discussing the Civil War that's the way it went so even today well at least in the 80s if you talked about spirituality then church officials would accuse you of not being involved uh, particularly in politics like anti-racism when that's not what you meant at all you meant spirituality like charismata (laughs) boy that was a deaf ear okay lutzer hitler would soon try to force the church to adopt what he called quote positive christianity unquote That was more radical than even most nationalistic churches had anticipated. His plan, as it would be later unveiled, called for the obliteration of the church. In the end, he wanted to transform the church so thoroughly that every vestige of Christianity would be smashed. There was not enough room in the church for both the cross and the swastika, As Hitler himself mused, one god must dominate another given the weakness of the church his gold appeared to be within reach though it would not be as easy as he thought so next time we're going to talk about that church that objected so he got things inch by mile So at first he was willing to give the churches freedom, he said, as long as they did not do anything subversive to the state. Of course, behind that promise lay his own definition of what might be subversive. But his guarded promise, as well as a concordat with the Vatican that guaranteed freedom to the Catholic Church, was welcome. Article 24 of the party platform demanded, quote, liberty for all religious denominations in the state so far as they are not a danger. Dot 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 to the moral feelings of the German race. Hitler spoke approvingly of his positive Christianity, which would contribute to the German struggle, and he won some goodwill for appearing to be conciliatory. The churches liked his use of the word freedom. Apparently, he hoped that people would feel good about him in the beginning, even if they didn't feel so good about him later on. Privately, however, Hitler revealed his true intentions. Hermann Rauschning records that shortly after his ascent to power Hitler remarked that there was no future for either the Catholic or the Protestant denominations. Making peace with the church, he said, won't stop me from stamping out Christianity in Germany root and branch. One is either a Christian or a German. You can't be both. Note that citation Conway the Nazi Persecution of the Church, page 15. On March the twenty-first, 1933, Hitler arranged an impressive spectacle for the opening of the new session of the Reichstag in the garrison church in Potsdam. With pomp and ceremony, he sought to assure the nation he could follow a conservative path and seek harmony with the churches. Two days later, the Reichstag passed the so-called enabling law, whereby the power of the Reichstag was reduced to a sounding board for the party. The necessary majority to pass the bill was secured by the arrest of some parliament members and by threatening others. By July, Hitler proclaimed, the Nazis the only party in Germany. But in those early days, the word freedom and peace were found in all of his speeches that gave the masses the reassurance that though they might have some misgivings, once they understood him better, they would know that he was on. Fair side. Next, Hitler, a master of deceit, looked for a pretext, an excuse for exercising greater control. Just as the Reichstag fire was an excuse for s- suspending personal liberty, so he created other opportunities that gave him the privilege of bypassing conventional means of justice. Selah. He created opportunities that gave him the privilege of bypassing. Back to Lutzer. As a prelude for attempted takeover of the church, Hitler removed some of his opposition by falsely accusing churchmen of treason, theft, or sexual malpractices. Goebbels, the propaganda minister, insisted that those trials be published in detail in newspapers, thus parading lurid details about known ministers, priests, and nuns, Priests who warned parents against letting their children become part of the Hitler youth were subjected to blackmail. Thus, Hitler silenced the mouths of those who would dare oppose him. Catholic priests, nuns, and church leaders were arrested on trumped-up charges, and religious publications were suppressed. Hitler always said that the best way to conquer your enemies is to divide them. He encouraged a movement simply called God-believers, unquote, designed to persuade individuals to withdraw from churches. The sales pitch was that there w- was an alternative to the church. Whatever to be accomplished could be done elsewhere in other ways. The state could have a ceremony to dedicate infants, and state could have its own holidays without the need to celebrate Christian ones. In 1935, prayers ceased to be obligatory in schools, and religious instructions was not yet exactly prohibited, but it was limited to those who had been licensed by the state. Skipping down. Carols and nativity plays were banned from the schools in 1938, and even the name Christmas was changed to Yuletide. Crucifixes were were eliminated from classrooms. And Easter was turned into a holiday that heralded the arrival of spring keeping down. Not unlike some of our own liberated social planners, Hitler preached that the children belong to the Reich. To parents, Hitler calmly said, your child belongs to us already. What are you? You will pass on. Your descendants, however, now stand in the new camp. In a short time, they will know nothing else but this new community. The Hitler youth competed with the educational system of the state, Private schools were abolished, and by 1938, all education was unified under Nazi ideology. Textbooks were rewritten. Skipping down. Okay, book burning was common. Thousands of students burned an estimated 20,000 books in the square opposite Berlin University. Initially, there was significant opposition, but few spoke against it because of the fear of reprisals. Also, people longed to believe the myth that after Hitler consolidated his power, he would relax and allow more freedoms. Others accepted these news ideas as a kind of exchange for the economic and political benefits they now had. Too late did they realize that these were only initial stages of a complete Nazi takeover. So, Hitler was law of the states, and Rushduni, the a reformed theologian in the United States, passed on already, said, behind every system of law, there is a God. The people say, law is inherently religious. So, Hitler is in charge of Germany, and this church is staying very little, and is getting pushed into a corner, and the masses don't realize that he intends to eliminate the church thereby. Okay, so what does the church do? Well, there are a few who do something, and of course there is ongoing controversy within the church which is documented, so next time we're going to talk about that.